Mr. Gorbachev teared down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, everybody, welcome to our guest segment. Good to have you with us. And uh, one of our favorite guests is back. His name is Derek Gilbert. He's the host. Uh, he's one of the hosts on Skywatch TV. He's been with us numerous times. Uh, several books out, including The Great Inception, Last Clash of the Titans, also uh, a book called The Day the Earth Stands Still. Uh, tremendous author and uh, just a really all-around interesting guy. His brand new book is Bad Moon Rising: Islam, Armageddon, and the Most Diabolical Double Cross in History. Derek Gilbert, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Jim. It's my honor to be here. Jeff Epstein, this this whole idea of like the elites, the rich being involved with pedophilia and and children. Um, I personally think this is another sign of the end times. Uh, is that anything you've ever discussed in any of your books or on your show? Well, yeah. In fact, I, I do a Sunday evening uh, live web stream myself, and I, I spent uh, the better part of my first segment talking about Jeff Epstein tonight, too. So uh, I was was and we're tracking along the same lines, by the way. There's more here than what the media is is presenting. But yes, from a spiritual standpoint, as Christians looking at this, we understand there's a lot more that the media is not going to talk about because they don't get or don't want to remind their viewers that, uh, as the Apostle Paul wrote, we, we're not wrestling against human opponents. We're wrestling against principalities and powers and the cosmic rulers over this present darkness. In fact, my wife Sharon is preparing a um, a, a talk, a presentation, uh, a probably it will be a, a sermon by the time we get done with it, because uh, when y- y- you look at these these entities that rebelled against their creator, whether they're fallen angels or demons, I mean, we see dimly into that realm, um, but there are literal evil intelligences that want to destroy God's creation. And what they're doing now um, is trying to deconstruct God's design, his plan for the relationships between men and women and children. And so her talk is going to focus on one of those entities that I featured in, in my previous book, Last Clash of the Titans, and also in the new book, Bad Moon Rising, the ancient goddess of carnal sex and mindless violence called Inanna, and then Ishtar in the Bible, she's called Astarte. The Greeks called her Aphrodite, the Romans called her Venus, but she is arguably the spirit of our age. You know, it's it's interesting because as as we've had prior discussions, we talk about Satan's plan to basically pervert everything that God had planned to take God's creation and basically turn it upside down. And when you think about, you know, uh, all, all of the, the scenes that I sort of visualize when I read the new Testament, that scene of Jesus welcoming the children and, and, and the warning about, uh, you know, uh, people 
uh, taking advantage of children. I don't have the exact reference in front of me, but um, the, the, the special place in the heart of Jesus Christ himself for children and the idea that now, and, and it keeps it keeps going up. So it's like now, okay, so it's not just man and, and woman, a man and a woman being married, but now we can have sex outside of marriage. And then the next thing is it can be same gender. And then the next thing is you can be any one of several things, LGBTQ, HIJK, LMNLP, all these different things you can be. And then you can switch back and forth and all of this. And then the next thing is uh, sex with children. And when I say this to people, they say, come on, Jim, that, that will never, ever be normalized in our society, sex with children. Well, we said that probably 20 years ago about homosexuality, 50 years ago, even less time than that. If you were a Hollywood star and were caught in an adulterous relationship, you would lose your, your movie contracts. And look how far we've come in its incrementalism and the next horizon seems to be this move for sex with children. It is the next phase of perversion. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a very old uh, perversion. When Moses came down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, with the law uh, that defined the roles that God had intended for men and women and children, that was revolu- That was progressive. When, when that happened in the middle of the 15th century B.C., this goddess Inanna, who uh, there are Sumerian hymns, texts that have been found on clay tablets dating back to ancient Sumer, hymns to this goddess that praise her for being able to change men into women and women into men, and her, her temple staff, her temple priests and priestesses were, were cross-dressers and transgender. And it, it, this is really a very old thing. I mean, the irony here is that progressives are convinced that what they're trying to indoctrinate our children and grandchildren into, this idea that gender is fluid, is actually a very, very old teaching. What God gave to Moses to teach to the Israelites, preserved for us between the pages, the covers of our Bibles, that was progressive when it was brought down from the mountain. And that really is still progressive in the sense that that really is the best design for all of us. Now, that's not to say that we as Christians should look on people who are confused about their gender with with disgust or with hatred, because the only thing that can really help them is the love of Jesus Christ. And if we make ourselves a stumbling block between them and the gospel, we're not really helping. So yeah, I agree with you. I I, I think it's 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 an issue where we have to be sensitive. And I think also Christians have to Christians have to realize that. Um, you know, one sin is just as bad as another sin. So, you know, if if we want to kind of have our pet sins, I mean, it used to be dancing and bowling and going <laughs> to the movies. Those are. I remember when I was in Bible college, I had to sign a contract that said no dancing, no bowling, no movie theaters, no alcohol. I, I signed that contract, and I remember uh, halfway through my first semester. Uh, one of my friends invited me to the movies and I said, we can't go to the movies. That's in our contract. He said, just watch, we'll go to the movies and you'll see your professors there. That's not enforced. And (laughs) I thought, is this guy trying to get me kicked out or something? And sure enough, we went and saw some of our professors at the movie. So I guess that was (laughs) was sort of like the time when times were changing, like 1983, but let's get into your, your new book here, bad moon rising. 
when I, when I got this book earlier this week and I saw the moon on it, I thought, okay, is this one of these books about the blood moon? Is this going to take us into like the different phases of the moon? But actually what you're talking about here, if I'm understanding correctly, is the moon God. Is that right? Yes. The moon God and some of his confederates, uh, it, it, it struck me when I started thinking about this subject a couple of years ago that according to research from the Pew Research Group, the, the, uh, the religion founded by Muhammad, Islam, is on track to become the world's largest religion within the next 50 years if things don't change, if trends don't change, if the Lord tarries and so on. There will be more Muslims on earth than Christians by about the year 2070 or 2075. Now, again, wow. coming back to Paul, if, if Paul was correct and that, I assume he was, that we're not wrestling against human opponents, then who are these principalities and powers behind Islam? It seemed to me that it couldn't be just one. I mean, this, this religion is too old and has become too successful for this to be the work of just one fallen angel or one demon. So who were they? And that's, that's what kind of led to the research behind Bad Moon Rising. Now, I know you mentioned the Amorites in the book, and I've got your press sheet here in front of me. Uh, for those that don't know, explain to us who the Amorites were and how that affects the world today. The Amorites were a group of people who spoke a Semitic language. The Bible tells us they were um, descended from Canaan, the son of Ham, but they spoke a Semitic language. They first show up in history around 2500 BC in Syria, uh, by about the year 2000 B.C., they had moved down into southeastern Iraq, what was then ancient Sumer. Um, by about the time of Abraham's birth, around 1900 B.C., the Amorites were in control of everything that we know today as Syria, Iraq, Kuwait, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, even northern Egypt came under the control of the Amorites. When the Israelites were sojourning in Egypt, the people who ruled northern Egypt at the time were Amorites. They spoke a Semitic language, they worshipped a certain set of gods, and they set the, the religious and the cultural tone for the world of the Bible from the time of Abraham down to the time of Jesus. Um, what Muhammad did, and by the way, what, what led me down this path was a, a strange comment that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. This is the co- where they made the covenant and God promised the land uh, to Abraham all the way to the river Euphrates or to Abraham's descendants someday, uh, he said that uh, your, your descendants will, will be sojourners in a foreign land, talking about the, uh, the sojourn in Egypt, and they'll return in the fourth generation for the iniquity or the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were used as an example of spiritual wickedness throughout the Old Testament. Um, what were the, you know, who were the Amorites and why were they so wicked? Well, the Amorites founded Babylon. Okay, Babylonian is not an ethnicity, it's, it's a place. And the Amorites were the ones who founded Babylon in its occult system that became the symbol for the end times church of the Antichrist. So, okay, who did the Amorites worship? And so that's what I tried to identify. When you realize that what Muhammad did in the 7th century AD was essentially freeze in place the tribal culture that had basically been unchanged in Arabia since the days of the Amorites in the time of Abraham, almost 2,700 years earlier, the iniquity, the sin of the Amorites, the religion of the Amorites, and the gods of the Amorites are a lot more significant and relevant to us today than we realized. 
And so the book in the book, I identify who the principal gods of Mesopotamia were of the Amorites, um, what their characteristics were, how those characteristics are manifest in Islam. And then to try to make the book relevant, I tried to put together a, an, a scenario for the end times that accounts for Islam. If you have a, a scenario for how the apocalypse plays out without accounting for what's about to become the world's largest religion, there's kind of a hole in that, uh, that scenario. So that's basically what the book is. What is Islam about? Who were the gods that were worshipped by the people who became Muslims in the 7th century? And then what ultimately is their destination in the, uh, the end times? And I know you've been with us before, and we've clarified this, but just for new listeners and for those just tuning in, we're talking with Derek Gilbert. His book is Bad Moon Rising. When we talk about these gods, we're talking about small G god. And Correct. also, this is not, we're not talking about these small G gods as like just a statue that somebody built and said, well, you know, I'm going to worship this frog. And it's just kind of between them and the statue, and it's sort of a make-believe thing. We're talking about spiritual forces, um, fallen angels in, 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 in specific. Is that right? Correct. And in the Bible, God calls them God. So we're on sound, you know, we're on pretty solid ground here. Um, in Exodus 12, 12, when God is talking to Moses and saying, you know, this is the night that I'm going to pass over the land and uh, take the firstborn of all the, uh, the families of Egypt and even the firstborn of their livestock – but he, then he adds to Moses, I, I, on the, I will execute judgments, I will execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt, which is kind of an odd thing to say if these are just lifeless blocks of wood and stone. If the gods of Egypt were just their imaginary friends, God would not have mentioned this to Moses. There would be no point to it. Um, the, the key text in the Bible that kind of I think, confirms this, this view of reading the Bible, the divine counsel view. Uh, in fact, that phrase comes from this text, Psalm 82. God takes his place in the midst of the divine counsel, in the midst of the gods. He, you know, he basically passes judgment on these fallen angels who have rebelled against his authority. Uh, he says, you are, sons of, you are uh, gods, all of you, sons of the Most High, yet like men you shall die and fall like any prince. That is their ultimate destiny. And I go into that, the death of the gods in the book, Bad Moon Rising, uh, as, which will take place as part of the end times at Armageddon, which coincides with what the Old Testament prophets called the day of the Lord. That's when he pours out his judgment, his wrath on an unbelieving world. For most of us brought up in church, we were never taught that these gods were real. But God in the Bible calls them gods, and there are a number of incidents uh, that take place in the Bible that only make sense as messages or conflict between capital G God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and these small g gods, these fallen angels who lied to our, our ancestors and manifested as gods in their own right. They demanded worship from our ancestors, their creator, the God of the Bible, said, this is not right, you have disobeyed, and uh, a judgment is coming. And the death of these gods has been decreed. Um, the double cross in the subtitle of the book, the subtitle being Islam, Armageddon, and the most diabolical double cross in history, is that I think, and I say this with no, no joy, Jim, that I think the ultimate role for Muslims in the world in the end times is that they will be betrayed by these fallen angels, these, these entities who manifested as the gods of the ancient world who 
cooperated or, or combined forces in a sort of a, a supernatural corporate merger to create this religion called Islam, uh, I believe that Muslims will be used essentially to start a war and then lose a war to, uh, to Israel that will lure the Jews and Christians, if we are still here when the Antichrist emerges, into welcoming the Antichrist as the Savior of Israel and, uh, well, as the Messiah. Yeah, it's interesting, just in watching the news every day, these little small things that are happening. I, I noticed last week, um, and this isn't a big news story here in the U.S., but what's happening in Turkey. And, and so, you know, I, I've gone to a lot of prophecy conferences. I'm not an expert on prophecy like you are. But one of the things that always confused me was how Turkey was going to be among the nations attacking uh, Israel, but yet Turkey's a member of NATO, Turkey's our ally. Well, then just this last week, the news is that Russia's actually putting in missile batteries into Turkey, and the U.S. is leading possibly the charge to get them kicked out of NATO. And a lot of their military uh, equipment, their planes and so forth, are provided by us, and we're talking about shutting off the pipeline of supplying military to them. So we're seeing you know, Turkey making this shift to become part of the group of nations that will attack Israel. And it's, it's right there in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look at uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is the war of Gog and Magog, and, and traditionally many Christian prophecy scholars have interpreted the, uh, uh, the, the nation or, or that, uh, that prophecy by Ezekiel as a coalition led by Russia. Uh, I think you're right. Turkey is actually... The, the location for all of those nations, the nations that uh, Ezekiel mentions as part of that nor- northern coalition, uh, Gomer and Beth Tagarma and Magog, um, th- they were all in Ezekiel's day, the 6th century B.C., located in what is now Turkey today. But I think more significantly is that the, uh, the Mount of Assembly, the mountain that was sacred to Satan, who Jesus identified as the storm god called Baal, Baal for scholars, uh, is located in Turkey. It's uh, Mount Zephon. It's on the uh, today called Jebel al-Akra, uh, very near ancient uh, Antioch. It's near the border between Syria and Turkey, right on the Mediterranean coast. That That is a place that was known as far back as the Exodus, as the mountain sacred to this storm god. Uh, and that's identified as the um, the place where Gog of Magog, who is the Antichrist, rallies his forces before marching on Israel. Uh, there's a phrase in Hebrew in Ezekiel 38 and 39 called Yarkate Tzephon, which is only used three places in the Bible. And one of them is that famous verse in Isaiah 14, where he says, How thou art fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Uh, Lucifer, the rebel from Eden, wanted to establish his mount of assembly in the uttermost parts of the north, or Yarkate Tzephon. It's a reference to that mount Tzephon, the holy mountain of Satan. Baal, and that's where Gog of Magog will come from. It's all coming from Turkey. Russia may play a role in it, but really Turkey is going to be the leading yeah, force. Yeah, Turkey's a right, big Jim, part of it. And, and the other, the other reason I think Tur- Turkey is significant, Derek, is because we have so few allies in that region, and, and it was kind of an unusual uh, partnership. You know, the U.S., um, a Christian nation, and then a Muslim nation uh, like Turkey, and uh, strategically using Turkey's airspace 
was part of our ability um, in the war, the war in Iraq and, and, and other uh, situations there um, with Syria. Uh, and then if that goes away, it seems like the teams are sort of lining up. I know we've still got a relationship with Saudi Arabia. Of course, we've got a, a relationship with, uh, with Israel, um, but, but we don't have very many allies in the region. Um, do you have a view on where the U.S. is in that final war? Because I've had different guests on with different views, and some will say, well, America is not mentioned uh, in, in that final war. Others say that we're not in the war, but we're sort of just letting the war take place. And others say we're helping Israel. Uh, where, where do you think we are in that? Well, it, it's really hard to say because it's not clear from the biblical text. I mean, I know there are some who think that uh, we are the young lions uh, of Tarshish that uh, are, are mentioned in Scripture, and, and maybe that's true. But it's, it's, uh, there are others who think that we are the, the wings of the eagle that, that take the woman off into the desert to give her uh, shelter when the, the dragon, Satan, and his forces are trying to chase her down. Uh, honestly, I don't know. I really don't, because the Bible's not explicit on that, and I did not really get into that in, in the book. Um, I, I do think there's a war coming between Israel and its near uh, Muslim neighbors. Certainly that's a very plausible scenario. Um, Turkey and Israel used to be friendly. They're becoming more um, antagonistic toward one another here over the last few years. Um, Bill Salas, prophecy expert, has uh, suggested that uh, Psalm 83 prophesies a war between Israel and its next-door neighbors, uh, I suggest in the book Bad Moon Rising that uh, that may be the trigger that leads to a wider conflict, which then leads to the emergence of a dynamic military and or political leader who leads Israel to a smashing victory against these Muslim neighbors. And again, this is the double cross by these fallen angels who uh, concocted this religion uh, called Islam as a response to the uh, the resurrection of Jesus, which I argue in the book caught them by surprise. They didn't expect that. Um, once this savior of Israel emerges, um, the, the rabbis in Israel are very likely to see this person as the Messiah, as the arrival, because they are looking for a geopolitical savior just as they were back in the first century. Now, what role America plays in this, this war or these series of conflicts? Honestly, I don't know. And in Iran, we, we have, of course, uh, started to see uh, some provocation from Iran. Uh, the news this last week was uh, the um, Royal Guard there attempted to, uh, I guess, take a, a British petroleum ship, and they were thwarted in, in their attempts to do that. Uh, but they shot down a 200, uh, I guess, a $200 million drone uh, of ours, and there have been other things happening. They're now threatening to enrich uranium to whatever level they want to. They're out of this deal that they were in with Obama. Um, is Iran mentioned in your book? Yeah, and uh, it's interesting, based on the work of um, a couple of scholars of uh, Islamic history, because I'm certainly not an expert on, on what Muslims teach or believe, but uh, uh, one in particular, Dr. Timothy Furnish, who's uh, written a, a couple of books on, on what Muslims believe. His expertise is in Islamic eschatology. What do Muslims believe about the end times? Hmm. And he actually uh, documents that Shia Muslims are actually less likely to try to trigger the, the apocalypse than violent Sunni Muslims like the Islamic State. Dr. Furnish was arguing as far back as 2005 that uh, a radical Mahdist or violent Mahdist movement would emerge among Sunni Islam 
to try to um, hotwire the apocalypse. The, the, the Ayatollahs in Iran, by contrast, actually aren't all that excited about seeing the Mahdi appear. They're sort of like the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day, who realize if the Savior emerges here, we're all out of jobs. <laughs> and so uh, the, the Ayatollahs really aren't that interested in giving up their, their nice houses and fancy cars and pretty wives. So they are really not that apocalyptic, unlike movements like the Islamic State, which is just the most recent in a long history of violent Sunni Muslim movements that are trying to bring the Mahdi to earth for, for global jihad. Um, Shia Muslims are waiting for the reemergence of the, uh, and again, this is only one sect of Shia Islam because they've got as many sects as we do among Christians, uh, but 12 Shia are probably the, the, the most uh, numerous, and they're waiting for the reemergence of their uh, 12th imam. They're not even supposed to try to wage global jihad until the, uh, the, the, the Mahdi emerges. But what's interesting is that between Sunnis and Shias, when one of those groups decides that a Mahdi has arrived, the other group will likely see that <laughs> the Mahdi of the other as the Dajjal, their Antichrist figure. So I think what the, the role that the role that uh, uh, Iran has to play in this, frankly, I, I think they're going to be sidelined by uh, by the Sunnis. I think the Sunnis are the ones to watch the Turks, the Saudis, and then a radical movement like the Islamic state. I think they're more likely to be the trigger for what we see happening in the end times. And I don't think anybody really knows who's in charge over there in Iran, because you do have the Ayatollahs, then you've got the, the Royal guard and, uh, you've got a, a progressive movement of younger people that are wanting something different, and they've got all kinds of financial problems there, especially now with increased embargoing and, and sanctions. So uh, who knows who's in charge there, and, and God forbid that they ever did have uh, any nuclear capability. I, I almost wonder if Israel would first strike if they found out that they were planning something just because mm – -hmm. You, you you know, a country as small as Israel, you don't get really a chance to respond after you get hit with, with a nuclear bomb. That That's true. And, and for all I know, and again, just bearing in mind, I'm not an expert here, but uh, if Israel were to do something like that, you might see Sunni Muslims then rally to Iran's side. And that could be the, the trigger that uh, leads to a wider regional war. But when you read Ezekiel and you see the nations that he, the farther nations that he lists as part of this coalition that comes against Israel, you know, Persia, Kush, and Put, in other words, Iran, uh, Ethiopia or Sudan, and Libya. When you actually look at a map and, and look at the directions that Ezekiel was pointing to in his writings there, or referencing by naming those nations, he was essentially listing the nations that were as far in each of those directions, east, south, and west, as his readers were likely to have heard of. In other words, what Ezekiel is saying there, the whole world is coming against Israel for that final war. The war of Gog and Magog culminates, ends with Armageddon. And I explain why in the book. Essentially, we, I don't know that we're looking for Iran specifically, and Ethiopia, Sudan specifically, and Libya specifically. Ezekiel was just saying the whole world, north, south, east, west, the whole world is coming to do war against Israel. And that's going to be quite a thing to watch, especially since we know how it's going to end. Uh, take yeah, take our watching uh, from up there, not down here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe it'll be live on YouTube. <laughs> uh, take a minute or two. T take a minute or two and uh, tell us how people can get this book. And I know there's all these different package deals. Oh, and by the way, we did book Joe Horn. 
It's like uh, he's harder to book than the president. He's going to be here next week, I'm told, to talk about his book, Everyday Heroes, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, but uh, your your book is part of the Defender Publishing, and there's a lot to know about. There's different packages people can get and all of that. So take a minute or two and tell us more about how they can get the book and, and other offers that are available. Well, it's available wherever books are sold, of course. Um, you can find it in brick-and-mortar stores, what few of those are left. But uh, Amazon.com, of course, carries it. You can pre-order the Kindle version if you prefer an electronic version. Uh, and oddly enough, Jim, and I just find this is amusing, I don't track this because I, I you know, hyperventilate over numbers, but I think this is hysterical that the book, Bad Moon Rising, is actually the number one Amazon new release in Islamic theology and in Christian eschatology and Christian historical theology at the same time. Wow. Somehow, well, just even though it's like what you were saying earlier that, and they'll probably read it and take a different view of it, you know, like, oh, this guy's got it backwards. We're really going to win. And this is, our guy is going to be the one. <laughs> so, you know, God bless you. You're making money on both sides of it. <laughs> well, it it's about getting a message out there. I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting an endorsement from CARE. Let's put it that way. Okay, but, there you go. Right. The best way to get the book, though, because it also it's, it's available as part of a package offer from Skywatch TV, and you can find it at the front page at skywatchtvstore.com, along with the brand new books by Pastor Carl Gallup's Gods of the Final Kingdom and Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, uh, his new book called Progressive Evil. Uh, this also includes a thumb drive that's got a lot of Tom Horn's, uh, what we're calling Tom Horn's secret files. Uh, mm. Research material, uh, some, uh, there are a couple of video presentations uh, featuring Pastor Carl Gallops and myself, um, and, and a, a number of other things, including the, uh, uh, the Defender Bible, which has the expanded Apocrypha in it, including the Book of Enoch, and, and other things. And all of that for just $35, which is less than the cost of, well, <laughs> two books alone at uh, Amazon or most yeah. brick-and-mortar stores. But, yeah, uh, that's a great deal, and we love Bob McGinnis. We love Carl Gallup's All Good People. We haven't had Thomas Horn on, but we're getting close because we got Joe Horn for next week. There you and go. so the, the website that they should go to is, is it the Defender Publishing site you want them to go to or uh, Skywatch TV? SkywatchTVStore.com, all one word, SkywatchTVStore.com. And tell them when your show is and how they can watch or, uh, you know, connect with you on your show. Skywatch TV is available through uh, uh, Roku, Apple TV. We're now on uh, Amazon Fire Stick. Uh, of course, we've got a YouTube channel where you can see all of our programs. Our weekly broadcast program is still broadcast over the air on a number of Christian television networks around the country. But you can get also get it on our free mobile app. We've got a mobile app that works for iOS devices like iPads and iPhones, um, Android devices, and also Amazon Kindle Fire tablets. So we're in those app stores. You can find links for the downloads for the apps and uh, instructions on how to load those into Roku and Apple TV and the Amazon Fire Stick uh, at the website, skywatchtv.com. Um, that's are probably on, the easiest way to catch Monday through Friday now every day, or are you just on once a week? Well, I do a daily news update called Five in Ten, which is five topics in ten minutes. Usually, winds up being closer to fifteen, but that's just me. Uh, that's Monday through Thursday. Then my wife Sharon and I produce a program for Friday called Sci Friday, where we talk about science news or specific topics. Uh, this past week, we discussed uh, actually uh, with a guest uh, sitting in uh, near-death experiences. So we'll hmm. talk about uh, various things. Uh, Sharon's got an expert in biology and genetics, so she can talk about uh, trans. Humanism, emerging diseases, and things like that. We do that on Fridays. Um, 
But the Skywatch TV channel on Roku, Apple TV, and Fire Stick also includes Josh Peck's programs, uh, Into the Multiverse, Chalk Talk, which he co-hosts with Donna Howell. And uh, we also add additional interviews that we couldn't fit into our network television program onto those uh, outlets as well. So YouTube, um, Roku, Apple TV, Fire Stick, uh, any of those methods will get us to you. And, of course, the uh, free mobile app. Very good. Well, you guys are doing all the, the right things, and uh, the books keep coming. I don't know when you sleep with all these books coming out, but uh, <laughs> you're still a young man. Who, who knows? You may break 100 uh, by the time uh, we have your, your funeral down the road. It'll be like, and he wrote 100 books. And that's what killed him. It was the 100th book. <laughs> well, Jim, right, hopefully Derek. we can make it there. I think we're about the same age, but thank you. That's right. Yeah, I, I'm not as prolific as you in recent times, though. I've got to get moving here. Derek Gilbert, uh, thank you so much for joining us. The book, Bad Moon Rising. Check it out over at Skywatch Store. Is Skywatchstore.com? Is that Skywatch, what I say? Skywatchtvstore.com. Skywatchtvstore.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, remember... If it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time.